18. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In this parable, Jesus answers one of the most important questions that a person can ask. What makes a person eligible to enter the kingdom of God? How do you get into the kingdom? The answer that Jesus gives is not what most people expect. In fact, his answer is the exact opposite of what most people think. Luke 18, verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted." Jesus is the master storyteller, and in this parable, he uses two powerful communication tools, contrast and irony. So with contrast, he's setting two things side by side for the sake of comparison. And then irony, he has the story going in one direction, and all of a sudden, there's an unexpected turn of events, and the ending is not what you think it would be. The parable is simple, yet profound. Only five verses, but what Jesus says is counterintuitive. Most people think that they can please God by being a good person. But in this parable, Jesus teaches that no one can inherit the kingdom of God unless they trust God by faith. No one can inherit the kingdom of God unless they trust God by faith. This proposition was absolutely outrageous to the original audience. Verse 9 tells us who this original audience was. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So Jesus is speaking to people who thought that they could pacify the wrath of God by their own righteousness. These people were self-deceived about their own salvation. 
The tricky thing about deception, self-deception, is that you don't know that it's happening to you. Self-deception. Uh, you may be able to see deception in somebody else. You may be able to see that they're deceived, but you can't see that you yourself are deceived. These people thought that they could earn their salvation by their good works. Uh, they viewed themselves as holy, or at least holier than some other people. They thought they were better than others. They had an attitude of superiority toward other people. And so, with that as the setup by Luke in verse 9, we now get to the parable of Jesus, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So the setting of the story is in Jerusalem. That is where the temple was located. And it says that the men went up to the temple. In the Bible, the language for going to the temple, it's always going up. That's because Jerusalem was high in elevation and the temple being in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah was high in elevation. So they go up to the temple. The story begins in verse 10 with the people going up to the temple. And the story ends in verse 14 with the people going down from the temple to their homes. Uh, my translation, the New American Standard Bible, says simply that the man went to his house. But the Greek says he went down to his house. So the story starts with them going up, ascending, and it ends with them going down, descending. There's symmetry in how the story is presented. And there's something remarkable that happens in between those two times. It says they went up to the temple to pray. Uh, this was very custom, uh, customary for the Jews to go to the temple and worship. In fact, it was a daily thing. Uh, you would go to the daily sacrifice at the altar uh, twice daily. There was one sacrifice in the morning at 9 a.m. There was another sacrifice at 3 p.m. And uh, this was a typical day in Jerusalem. In fact, uh, the very next chapter in Luke 19, uh, Jesus, uh, he's there, he's driving out the money changers, and he says um, about the temple that it should be a place of prayer. Verse 46, he says, My house shall be a house of prayer. And he's quoting the Old Testament, Isaiah 56, verse 7. The temple was a place for prayer. We see that also in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John, it says, were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. So that's 3 p.m. So in the Jewish uh, day, you would have the day start at 6 in the morning. Nine hours later, the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m., and they were attending the, the, the daily sacrifice at 3. So um, nothing out of the ordinary here, a typical day in Jerusalem for those who live in the area going to the temple to worship. And now in the story, we meet two anonymous men. We only get to know them by their vocations. One is a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And in order for us to fully appreciate this story, 
it helps to know about Pharisees and tax collectors. The Pharisees were the religious, Jewish religious leaders of the day. They were the practitioners. Uh, they were known especially for their strict adherence to the law of Moses. They were fastidious keepers of the Mosaic ritual. Uh, they valued the Torah and tradition. The Torah was the written word, and tradition, uh, they had something they called oral tradition. So those were the two pillars of Phariseeism. So the Pharisees were a sect within Judaism. And you'll find that as you read the New Testament, the Pharisees are often mentioned alongside the Sadducees or the scribes. So the Pharisees are the practitioners, the Jewish practitioners. The scribes were the Jewish scholars. And the Sadducees were another Jewish religious sect who are sometimes opposed to the Pharisees. Uh, there's even another group that's mentioned outside the New Testament called the Essenes. So those are some of the religious sects within Judaism at that time, and the Pharisees were among them. The Pharisees especially were esteemed highly by the people. They were um, religious examples. They had very good reputations. They were the spiritually elite. They just looked righteous to people. They were universally respected. That's the Pharisee. And then there's this other person, it says, um, this other tax collector. Uh, in the Greek, it's other of a different kind, not other of the same kind. So this tax collector is of a totally different kind or class of person than the Pharisee. A sharp contrast. Uh, tax collector, or sometimes it's translated publican, publican, uh, he was a Jewish tax gatherer for the Romans. So he was a Jew, but he worked for the Romans, gathering taxes from the Jews. And unlike the Pharisee, this man was universally despised by the common Jew. And that's because the tax collectors had a reputation for extorting the people. They were cheaters and thieves and robbers. And not only that, but many Jews thought of them as traitors because they were working for the Romans. The Jews believed that the land was theirs and they thought it was wrong for their own people to be working for the Romans, their Roman overlords occupying the land of Israel. And so there was some disdain for the type of work they do. And the tax collector could just say, well, I'm just doing my job. I have to feed my family. And so here you have this situation where the tax collector is hated by almost everyone. You read about him in the New Testament, the tax collector, and you find that he's often paired with sinners or prostitutes or Gentiles. So you'll see uh, tax collector and sinner, tax collector and prostitute, or Gentiles and tax collectors. Uh, quite the company he keeps. So these people, the tax collectors, were sleazebags. They were the dregs of society despised 
loathed by the people. So two characters in this story, the Pharisee and the tax collectors. In the eyes of the common man, these characters were extreme opposites. Uh, One was esteemed, the other despised. One was the religious elite, the other was morally bankrupt. One was like a Ferrari, the other looked like a junker. Verse 10 gives us the setting of the story. Two Jewish men in Jerusalem at the temple. And based on what Jesus has said so far, the audience expects the Pharisee to be the hero of the story. He's the good guy, the religious guy. And the tax collector, they would expect, would be the villain, the bad guy. And the way Jesus tells this story, he uses inductive reasoning. That's where you give the evidence first, and you make your main point at the end. Uh, Deductive reasoning is the opposite. You state your main point at the start and then give the evidence uh, after that. And so inductive reasoning allows the speaker to get his information out there before the audience knows what his point is. And if it's a controversial point, that can be especially helpful uh, in argumentation because you have your listeners who may be hostile or resistant to what you're going to say. They have to hear what you're going to say first before they can hear what your point is. So he saves the main point to the end. So far, the Pharisee is going to be seeming to look like he's going to be the protagonist. Verse number 11 The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And it's here in verse 11 that the translations go in a different direction. Uh, The New American Standard Bible says that the Pharisee prayed to himself. He prayed to himself, suggesting that he was praying quietly rather than out loud or quietly enough so that nobody could hear him. Another translation says that he prayed about himself. Uh, That is, he prayed a self-congratulatory prayer. He prayed about himself. The ESV says that he was standing by himself when he prayed, giving the impression that he prayed at a place away from the group. So they're gathered around the altar, and it suggests that he was not gathered around with the group, but somewhere on his own, perhaps a place where he could be seen by others. Now, I don't think that it means that he's praying quietly, because quiet praying doesn't get noticed. And the Pharisees were all about being noticed. Standing by himself would get him noticed, and that's possible, but I think that it means that he's praying about himself in a self-congratulatory way. 
Notice how many times he uses the first person in this prayer. Five times. I thank you that I am not like other people. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Three short sentences, five references to himself. Selfish people talk about themselves a lot. And the way that he keeps referring to himself so often reminds me of the landowner that Jesus had just taught us about a few chapters earlier in Luke 12. Uh, Flip over to Luke 12, verses 16 through 20. Jesus tells a parable, and this man, every chance he gets, makes reference to himself. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So he's very, um, uh, in this case, exclusively focused on himself and his own interests. And you have a similar thing with the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Now, if the Pharisee had simply prayed, God, I thank you, and stopped right there, he would have been much better off. But he doesn't do that. He continues, and it's all downhill from here. Instead, he goes on to pump himself up by comparing himself to other people. Listen to this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Swindlers, people who steal from others by fraud or deceit. The unjust, dishonest, unrighteous, cheaters. Adulterers, sexual sinners. And then he says, and this tax collector. And you can almost see as this Pharisee is, is um, speaking, it's like he's gesturing over to this uh, tax collector who happens to be standing afar off. He's there, and it's like he turns and says, I'm, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. I mean, just, just look at him. He's, he's repulsive. I don't want anything to do with him. He's so unholy and unclean. Thank you that I'm not like that. For the Pharisee, he had a standard of righteousness, a standard of being better than other people. 
there's another standard that's mentioned here, and that is going above and beyond the law of Moses, going above and beyond what was required of him as a Jew. Verse 12 says, I fast twice a week. Now, the law of Moses had required fasting only one time per year. That was on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. But the Pharisee and many of his peers would fast twice per week. That's 104 times per year. The requirement is once per year. He's fasting 104 times per year. Now, they did have fasts uh, where you could um, fast while you're mourning. There's other times you could fast, but requirements once per year. So he's going way way above and beyond. He's not an achiever. He's an overachiever. And then he says, in a self-congratulatory way, I pay tithes of all that I get. The law of Moses required that he tithe grain, wine, oil, and from his flock. That's Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 23. But he goes well above and beyond that. He says, um, I don't tithe from some of what I require. I tithe of all that I require it. Jesus says in Luke eleven forty two that some Pharisees were tithing more than required, and they were tithing mint, rue, and every kind of garden herb. They were going well beyond and adding layer by layer more and more to the law of Moses, more than what was required. And so this guy, I mean, he really thinks that God is lucky to have him on his team. I mean, just look how spiritual he is. But notice what is missing from his prayer. There's something, uh, many things actually, that are conspicuously absent in what he says. There's no confession of sin in his prayer. No request for forgiveness. No petition for divine help. It's about uh, how good he is. So that's the Pharisee. Uh, Now we turn to the tax collector. Verse number 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The body language of this man reflects his inner disposition. Notice the three uh, statements about his body language. Uh, First, it says that he was standing some distance away from the altar. He deems himself unworthy to go near the altar. He knows that God is holy and he is unholy. He doesn't want to approach. He stays on the outskirts. In addition to that, he was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Heaven is where God is, and if he were to lift up his eyes, he would be making eye contact with God. But he's guilty, and he's ashamed of what he's done. He can't even look up. It's like a little child who's done something wrong, and they know it. 
and they won't make eye contact with the parent. Head down, and they look away. He is so ashamed of himself. Ezra, the scribe, uh, when he found out that some of the Israelites had intermarried with other peoples, he prayed this way. My God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you. For our iniquities have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Ezra 9.6 On top of that, the tax collector is beating his breast. This is a gesture of extreme mourning. And it shows that he's just, he's just totally disgusted with himself. He's repulsed by his own sin. When Jesus hung on the cross and died and, and breathed his last, last breath, uh, the crowd uh, was there, they had gathered, and it says that they began to beat their breast because they realized what had just happened. It's a sign of extreme contrition, deep sorrow. Then comes the words of the prayer of this tax collector, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Mercy is a weak translation. This is not the generic uh, term for mercy. Uh, it's propitiation. In fact, you could translate it, God be propitious to me, the sinner. It's a plea that God's wrath would be appeased. Uh, one translation, the Holman Bible translation, says, God, turn your wrath from me. Uh, this verb occurs only one other time in the New Testament, Hebrews 2.17, and there Jesus is the high priest, and he says that he is to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Make propitiation. So this tax collector knows that he's unholy. He doesn't call himself a sinner. It's the sinner. Notice the definite article. The sinner. Par excellence. He is the preeminent sinner. Uh, this man thinks of himself as the worst of all sinners. When it comes to sinners, he's in a class by himself, as he thinks about it. He doesn't say, I have sinned once. He doesn't say, I have dabbled in sin for a little while, but overall, I think I'm a pretty good person. He says, the sinner. He characterizes himself as a sinner through and through. So his body language and his very own words in his prayer reveal deep guilt and godly sorrow. And then... In the parable comes the shocker from Jesus. Verse 14. I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other. Whew. Went home justified. Justified is a legal term that means to be declared righteous. 
to be declared righteous. Uh, Justification is a one-time legal transaction that happens at the moment of conversion. The tax collector realizes his own inability to save himself. He knows he cannot make himself righteous. God declared the tax collector righteous. The Pharisee declared himself righteous. You see the difference? God declared the tax collector righteous. The Pharisee was declaring himself to be righteous. God imputed his righteousness to the tax collector, but he imputed iniquity to the Pharisee. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Psalm 32, verse 2. Justification is instantaneous. In the blink of an eye, the tax collector went from being unrighteous to righteous, from being in darkness to being in the light. No sacrament, no penance, no merit, just faith in God. He was justified by faith, not by works. And that's how it's always been all through history. Genesis 15:6 says that Abraham was justified by faith. Isaiah 53:11, God the Father says of his son, the servant, the Lord Jesus, my servant will justify the many. So Jesus mentions justification, but later in the New Testament, Paul is really the one who who develops it and describes it and unpacks it. He does that especially in the book of Romans, Romans uh, chapter uh, chapter 3 to chapter 5 most notably. Let me read for you just a few verses from Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. It says, By the works of the law, that's the law of Moses, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. And then verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. The doctrine of justification. When the men went up to the temple, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both of them had believed in God already. Uh, They both believed in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Even the demons believe in this God. But they are unsaved, and these men were unsaved. Both men had already believed in Scripture. Uh, The Hebrew Bible was their holy book. Both men had already believed in the afterlife and the resurrection of the dead. They knew that when they died, 
they would go on to the next life and eventually be resurrected, whether good or bad, righteous or unrighteous. They knew that one day they would stand before God on Judgment Day. They had both already believed that. They already they knew that there was a coming kingdom of God. They believed that God was righteous and holy. That's basic knowledge in the Jewish faith. They had believed already that they were both sinners. Obviously, the tax collector was a sinner, but even the Pharisee, who thought he was righteous, would not have thought that he had never sinned. Uh, He had sinned, and he knew he had committed sin, even though he was thinking that his good would outweigh the bad. Both men had already believed that salvation comes by righteousness. Now, one of them knew that one of them thought it was his own righteousness that would save him. They went up to the temple as unbelievers, but only one man came down from the temple justified by God. Verse 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus uses this punchline in three different teachings that he gives in the New Testament. Uh, It's pride versus humility. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. James 4.10. So we've seen in this parable that no one can inherit the kingdom of God unless God declares him righteous on the basis of his faith, not on the basis of his own works. Now, it's very common, very common then and very common today for a person to pray and to fast and to maybe even tithe or give, to be sexually pure, to be financially responsible, and still be self-deceived, self-righteous, unredeemed hypocrites who will eventually be humbled. Churches today are filled with unconverted people who are like the Pharisee, people who pray to God, people who study the Bible, people who are well-read and well-taught, people who have a reputation for being religious, people who memorize Scripture faithfully, they practice fasting, They give money to the church. People who don't cheat on their taxes. They don't look at pornography. They rest in their own knowledge. And they love to learn, but they hate to repent. Which person do you identify more with? The Pharisee? who trusted in his own goodness, outwardly impressive, but inwardly empty? Or are you more like the tax collector who realized his dilemma and begged God to forgive him of his iniquity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Our own righteousness is like filthy rags. No amount of good that we can do can we earn our way into the kingdom of God. So Lord, I pray today for someone to hear the words of Scripture and to trust Jesus Christ today as their Lord and Savior, that they would no longer put confidence in the flesh, but that they would trust in God. The Lord Jesus taught us that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. If we have broken the law at one point, we have broken the entire law. Lord, we've seen that salvation is all of grace, a gift from you, nothing that we can do, no works, no merits, no rituals, purely of grace. I pray that you would make us humble. In Jesus' name, amen.